We would like to give a quick trigger warning before we begin. This episode of Roadside discusses mental health and suicide. If you or someone you know are contemplating suicide, you can dial 988 to reach someone at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7. An additional note in this episode, we both use the phrase commit suicide. Experts now recommend the phrase be replaced with either died by suicide or take one's life as the word commit insinuates a crime and downplays mental illness. We apologize for the incorrect phrasing. Now on to our episode. Welcome to Roadside. I am so excited. This is our very first ever episode of our new podcast. I'm Abigail. And I'm Janica. We are a mother-daughter duo based in St. Louis, and we came up with this podcast idea on a cross-country road trip a few weeks ago. On this podcast, we will be talking about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Some we've been to, some we haven't, but we hope that you will enjoy other get intros. Into it? Yeah. Or all right. <laughs> well, do we want to intro anything else about us? So you're all right. So a little bit about me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm Abigail. Like I said before, I'm a Virgo, and I am 23 years old. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about myself. <laughs> uh, I am not going to say how old I am. <laughs> I am Abigail's mother, obviously. There's clearly a lot more about both of us, but, you know, we'll talk about that at another time and you'll get to know us. So on we go. She introduced me to podcasting on our roadside or on our, on our road trip, on our road trip. And then uh, we came across a very unique roadside attraction, which we'll get into in a different episode. Abigail is going to start us off with one in St. Louis because that's where we're from. Yeah. Go for it. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about the Lemp Mansion. So the Lemp Mansion is in St. Louis, which is where we're from. I've only been there once, I think, and it was when I was really little. We went for a dinner for my grandma. I don't really remember a whole lot about it. It had a creepy vibe, but I knew it was supposed to be like a haunted place, so that's probably why. But I don't really remember a whole lot about it. You were probably eight, Eight? nine? Yeah, yeah. But we were just there for dinner. We didn't stay the night or anything. The Lemp Mansion is really popular all across the U.S., but especially in St. Louis, because it is supposed to be one of the ten most haunted places in the United States. It used to be a residence, basically, for the wealthy Lemp family who were brewers in St. Louis, and they were super popular. But now the Lemp Mansion is a bed and breakfast, and they have a restaurant and mystery dinner theater, and you can, you know, stay the night and experience all the haunted goings-on. First, I want to talk about some of the hauntings. There have been stories of its hauntings since the 1950s, when it fell out of the Lemp family's ownership, and it was made into a boarding house, and then later into the inn and restaurant that it is now. But guests and staff have often complained about hearing voices and seeing apparitions, seeing things suddenly appear and disappear, hearing knocking, running in the hallways, all that kind of stuff. Typical haunting things. However, some of it connects a lot back to the Lemp family, which 
we'll get into. People have also told about hearing the voice of a little boy mm. asking if someone wants to come play. Mm. Yeah. Love that. I know. It's really fun. <laughs> a lot of employees and guests of the inn have been spooked into like basically quitting and giving up and leaving because they're just so creeped out because Ugh. this place gives off the worst vibes in history. The voices and other strange things, hauntings, have been in every room of the mansion. But it's said that there are three places in the house that are most haunted. And I want you to remember these three places. Okay. There's the stairway. Stairway. The attic. Attic. And the gates of hell. Oh, fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I'll remember that yeah. one. <laughs> in the stairway, people will often hear somebody running up the stairs or feel like they heard someone tripping and falling down the stairs, and then they go out and check and there's nobody there. Okay. In the attic is where the voice of the little boy comes from. Uh. Yeah. Also, whenever there's people sometimes walking out on the street outside of the house, people have said that they see a boy with a quote-unquote strange face peeking out of the attic windows. Ew. And then he disappears. And then we have the gates of hell. Oh, God. <laughs> The gates of hell are in the basement, and it's actually like an entrance to a tunnel in the basement huh. that leads to underground caves. Really? All right. So those are the three places to remember. Okay. And now I'm going to get into the history of the Lemp family. Okay. So the Lemp family started with Johann Lemp. Also, I've seen him called Adam Lemp, but he immigrated to St. Louis from Germany in 1838. Johann Lemp had three wives in his lifetime. His first wife was Anna Claremont, who he married in Germany and had one daughter named Johannette. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And then he left and never talked to them again, so that's awesome. Nice. Super awesome what guy. A great man. Yeah, I know. And then his second wife, he also married when he was in Germany, named Justina Baum. What he did with Justina is he married her, they had one child named William, and then he decided, hey, you know what? I don't think I like Justina anymore. I'm going to take our son and move to St. Louis just out of the blue. Like, bye, see ya. Nice. Yeah, it was super awesome. So now he's left behind two wives and a daughter. Yep, two wives and a daughter. But he took the son. But he took the son. Cool. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And then his third wife, I don't really know a lot about him. I think he married her when he was in St. Louis, but her name was Louise Bauer. That's basically all that I got about her. Okay. So once he got to St. Louis, he started a grocery store called A. Lemp & Co. on what is now Del Mar, Del Mar and 6th Streets. Hmm. Here he sold beer, which was a light golden lager, a recipe handed down from his father. And at the time in St. Louis, really only like darker beers were sold, so everyone went crazy over this light beer. And the beer got so popular that only two years later, in 1840, he closed the grocery store and opened a brewery, which he called Lemp's Western Brewing Co. And it was near the Gateway Arch. His beer got more and more popular, among, especially among the German immigrant community, since it was a German beer. Makes sense. And he created the popular Falstaff beer brand, which oh, I is didn't know that. yeah, which is still sold today, but yeah. by a different company. Yeah. He was the one that created it. Soon after he started this, he realized that the brewery he bought was too small. Too small to produce and store and do everything out of just this one building. 
So he found a limestone cave. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yes. And that cave is on what is now Cherokee Street. So he used this cave as storage for the beer, which he kept cold by getting ice from the Mississippi River. Oh. Pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Because the Mississippi was like right there. Yeah. By the 1850s, Lemp's Western Brewing Co. became one of the most popular brewing companies in St. Louis. And in 1858, they actually won first place in the beer division at the St. Louis Fair. Cool. Johan passed away on August 25th in 1862. And at the time of his death, he was rolling in the dough. He was a millionaire. (laughs) As far as I know, he passed away of natural causes. I didn't really see anything about that. But once he passed away, his son William, who he had taken from Germany, took over the brewery. William began expanding the Brewing Co. uh, just two years after his father's death in 1864 because they were, again, getting, like, more and more popular. They just needed more and more space. He purchased the property that was right above the caves, and eventually the brewery was expanded over five city blocks. Dang. It was pretty big. William Lemp and his wife, Julia, were gaining power and wealth as their brewery became more prominent, and they basically became celebrities in St. Louis. They were, like... In all the newspapers, people saw them at fancy parties, and everybody knew them in the city. This is when the famous Lemp Mansion was finally built. In 1868, William Lemp's father-in-law, Jacob Feikert, Feikert, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know how. Okay. I've never heard of him, (laughs) so I have no idea. We're going to go with Feikert. Okay. Began building this house not too far from the brewery. And in the same year, William and Julia had their first child, William Lemp Jr., William Sr. and Julia had six children total, and I looked and looked, and I don't know the order of these children. I know that William was the first, and Frederick was the fourth. Okay. That's all. But other than William Jr. and Frederick, we have Edwin, Charles, Elsa, and Louis. Okay. Even though William Jr. was their first child, William Sr. liked Frederick best. Oh. And it was very obvious. Great. He was a big favorites guy. He was kind of grooming Frederick to become the next one to take over the Lemp Brewery. Okay. Once the house was complete, William Sr. and their family moved in in 1876, and that's when it became the Lemp Mansion. He planned to use it as a home for him and his family and also an office for the brewery. And you might think, well, how is there enough space for eight people and an office for the biggest brewery in St. Louis in this one little house. Well, this house had 33 rooms. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it was three stories, not including the attic. Okay. So it it was big. They were very rich. However, William Sr. didn't think that it was big enough, didn't think it was cool enough, so he began renovating it and expanding it basically immediately. So he had tunnels built from the basement into the caves under the brewery, so they could walk from his basement to the brewery caves. Didn't have to leave the house. Didn't even have to leave the house. (laughs) It's snowing outside, no problem. You can just walk through the tunnels. Oh, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he had these tunnels built under his house, and there was a bunch of weird, you know, in those like mystery movies with the big mansion with like the hidden doors Mm -hmm. and stuff behind the uh, bookshelves. It was basically like that. Like it was a creepy old house with a bunch of hidden shit. Okay. Eventually, whenever electrical refrigeration became a thing, he didn't need the caves anymore. So he converted them to be used for a whole bunch of other stuff, including an auditorium, a theater, 
a pool with hot water pumped from the brewery. Oh my gosh. And a bowling alley. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Like I said, they were just, imagine having that kind of money. No. Imagine being able to be like, yeah, let's go bowling. It's just right downstairs, you know? <laughs> then like, you could jump in the pool. And then you could just jump in the pool right after that. I want that. <laughs> those so, are your life goals. Those are my life goals. <laughs> By the 1890s, the Lemp Brewery gained national popularity, and it actually became the first brewery to sell its beer coast to coast. Cool. It was also the first brewery to use refrigerated train cars. You know, interesting little tidbit. Yeah. But in the middle of all of this success and the bowling alley and the pool and the being super famous, they had their very first tragedy. Uh-oh. I know. So remember William Sr.'s favorite son and uh, heir to the fortune? Yeah. He died. Oh. I know. He died of heart failure in 1901 at age 28. Oh. That's yeah. 1901? Mm-hmm. Okay. William Sr. was just absolutely heartbroken and he began slow decline he withdrew from the public and only three years after his son's death his best friend frederick pabst of pabst blue ribbon yeah. who i'm also assuming he named his son after oh, this yeah. was his this was william senior's best friend also passed away oh. i don't know how or what happened but after this william started to basically lose interest in everything hmm. um he got really depressed he still showed up to work every day but people said he was just like really nervous and anxious and just not um, understandably himself. yeah his physical and mental health kept declining until february 13th 1904 which was only 44 days after his best friend's death Aww. when william senior committed suicide <laughs> in Aww. the Lemp Mansion. Aww. He shot himself in the head with a 33 caliber Smith & Wesson in his office. Mm, that's not And good. he would be the first of many suicides oh, in this family. really? Yes. After William Sr. took his life, William Jr. took over. Even though he didn't know anything about the business, he wasn't the one that was supposed to take over. That was Frederick. Right. But Frederick's gone, so now it's up to William Jr. So he took over Lemp Brewery in November of 1904. And he was not good at his job. No. He was not good <laughs> at running this brewery at all. But you know what he was really, really good at? Uh, no, I don't know. Do really good know? at spending money oh. and partying and all that jazz. Okay. So he was the bad boy of the Lemps. Uh. Once he inherited the brewery, he also inherited the insane amount of money that yeah. the family had. Yeah. And as soon as he got his hands on it, him and his wife Lillian started to spend it. Of course they did. I'm going to talk about Lillian for a second, which is... William Jr.'s wife, born Lillian Handlin, and she came from a wealthy family whose money was from, came from the railroad supply business, and she was supposed to be super beautiful. So her and William Jr. married in 1899 and had their one and only child, William III, okay. in 1900. All the Williams get a little confusing, but I'll try my best to figure them out. Okay. Lillian became known as the Lavender Lady. Oh. In the, in the public, in the newspapers, everyone called her, like, the Lavender Lady. Because she loved the color lavender. Hmm. She was always wearing lavender clothes and accessories and hats and all that stuff. And she even had her horse's harnesses dyed lavender. Oh, nice. Which I can't even imagine how expensive that would have been. Yeah, back then. Yeah. they hey, spent... I'm wearing lavender. You are wearing lavender. <laughs> so like I said, they spent all their money. Not all of it, but they started spending a bunch of their money on servants and carriages and clothes and art and anything they thought they would ever want. 
Okay. And William Jr. loved showing off his wife and their wealth, and they went to all these parties, and they were always the best dressed and all that stuff. They were in the spotlight all the time. However, William Jr. started to become a little bit of a player. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take a second to highlight the differences between William Jr. and William Sr. Okay. Before I continue. Okay. Like we know, William Sr. born in Germany, and he watched his father, Johann, build the whole empire from the ground up. Right. He saw how much work it took. He saw how hard his dad worked to support them. He remembered what it was like just moving to St. Louis and being poor still. And this gave him a really strong work ethic and a sense of respect for his family. He worked really, really hard to keep the business up and running and make his dad proud and support his family. William Jr., on the other hand, was born rich. Yeah. He... And he was the firstborn of this super rich family. He never really saw all the hard work it took in the beginning and was basically just given whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And this gave him a sense of entitlement. And he thought he deserved all the money that he had, anything that he wanted, including women. Oh. Yes. So when he eventually got tired of his wife, like a little bitch, he began like sleeping around. Like his grandpa. Like his grandpa, yes. <laughs> So he began sleeping around, and in order to do this, he had to find ways to keep Lillian out of the house. Okay. He knew that Lillian liked to shop and spend money, so to keep her out of the house, he gave her an allowance of $1,000 per day. How much is that now? Now, that is $34,000. A day? A day. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine having the kind of money where you can just be like, here, honey. Buy yourself something pretty. Here's $34,000. First of all, I don't need a man to give me an allowance. I mean, yes. But second of all, $34,000 yeah, right? a day? Jeez. Like, I want that. Did you even spend $34,000 every single day? I mean, like, for Apparently the first week, she did. I'm sure I could. Yeah. But then after that, like... Apparently, she did spend this money every day. Oh, so Lord. They, they knew what they were doing with money. They had some like, money. He was a sugar daddy. <laughs> he was. And you know what? Good for her. Yeah. Get that, get that I mean, bag. Get gonna, that bag. If you're going to be out there yeah. cheating. While Lillian was out spending her money, as she should, William Jr. was throwing these absolutely ridiculous parties. And he threw these parties in the caves below the mansion. Yeah. Him and his buddies would go swimming in the pool, and they would go bowling in their bowling alley, and they were able to drink all the beer that they wanted and basically enjoy everything that William Jr. had to offer, which was literally everything. Nice. And one of these things he offered was prostitutes. Oh, gross. Yeah. He would bring in all these prostitutes to these underground cave parties for all of his friends and him to just pass around. That's so disgusting. Yeah, Ugh. it was not a good time. As far as I know, all of his cheating was kind of swept under the rug and nobody really knew about it. Yeah. At least that I could find. Until he got someone pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found conflicting sources. Some people say that this woman was one of the prostitutes, and some say it was a servant in the mansion. Yeah, okay. So I don't, I don't really know. This boy that was born, his unofficial son, or whatever you want to say, has no documentation to prove that he existed. Oh. Nothing. He, as far as I know, he was not named. What? There's... Did they give him up for adoption? Nope. I'll, I'll get there. Okay. I'll get there. Okay. <laughs> this boy was also born with Down syndrome. Aww. Yes, which back then, everyone was like, oh, he must be the spawn of the devil. Right. You know? Right. Bullshit. So he had no name that I could find. The only 
things that I saw him called were the illegitimate child and, quote, the monkey-faced boy. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, disgusting. But I'm not going to call him either of those things. No, absolutely not. That's fucked up. So I'm going to call him the mystery limp boy because I don't really know what else to call him since he has no name. And I think the reason that he didn't have a name was, and why there was no official documents, was because William Jr. was just so ashamed. Oh, He was so ashamed. So so ashamed. Can't believe he had a, quote, illegitimate child and that this child had Down syndrome. It is just, you know, the shame of his life. Yeah. I hate this man. (laughs) Instead of letting this boy live his good life and enjoy all of the money that he should have inherited and all the lavish stuff that he should have gotten, they locked him in the attic. What? Yep, they locked him up in the attic. Oh. And never took care of him. They made the servants take care of him. Oh. Yeah, super awesome. I even saw one source that he was chained up sometimes. Which, again, that's only one source, so I don't know if that's true. It might be over-exaggeration, but I also wouldn't put that past William Jr. We'll get back to this boy later. Okay. So after the years and years of cheating on his wife, Lillian finally divorced William Jr. in 1908. Okay. And this was a big fucking deal back then. I bet. To, first of all, for a woman to divorce her husband. Yeah. Second of all, because they were so popular, everybody knew the Lemps. Everybody wanted to know what was going on, and every single newspaper in St. Louis had big front page stories on oh this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> every single one. The trial started in February of 1909, and there were apparently like crowds of people outside the courthouse. Oh my gosh. They just wanted to get in there and they wanted to hear all the scandalous details. <laughs> they wanted to know what happened. When they were deciding the custody, of their child, William III, the court knew about all of William Jr.'s partying and drinking and soliciting prostitutes. They knew about all that. Okay. But they almost let him take full custody of William III because of one picture of Lillian smoking a cigarette. Seriously? Yeah. They were like, oh yeah, you know, prostitutes, that's fine. She's smoking a cigarette. She's the devil. She's go- She's going to hell. She does not deserve to keep that child. And this was a, a really big deal. They were arguing it for a very long time. But eventually, she was awarded full custody of their son. Ridiculous. And it was said in the papers that she wore lavender every single day of the divorce proceedings, except the last day when she showed up in all black. I love it. I know. <laughs> I'm. I'm just like... I'm living for that drama. Like that's, I love Lillian. She's getting her money. Mm-hmm. She's she's soaking up all the drama, and I'm just I love her. And she's making a statement. And she's making a statement exactly. Pretty soon after the divorce, she retired from the public eye, and she wasn't really seen a whole lot after that. Let's rewind a little bit. A few years before the divorce, okay. Nine of the biggest St. Louis breweries combined together to form the Independent Brewing Company and became a really big competition for the Lemp Brewery. And this hit the company and William Jr. really, really hard. Stuff started to go downhill, but after the divorce, things really started to go downhill. William Jr., he let the company's equipment deteriorate. He wasn't keeping up with new machinery. So basically, the brewery started to decline and wasn't as popular anymore. William Jr. was still super rich. He was still rolling in dough. Yeah. He could have done all that stuff and kept up with it and kept it going, but he just didn't care. He was like, you know what? 
I'm already rich. Yeah. <laughs> why, why should I carry on my father's <clears throat> legacy? Even though he didn't keep up with the brewery, make sure everything was new, he decided to remodel the mansion again. Oh, okay. You know, focus his money on that instead right. of his business. So he remodeled the mansion again in 1911, which just showed he cares more about keeping his money and showing off his money than keeping up with what his ancestors worked so hard for. Yeah. By the time that World War One started, the brewery was in shambles. Mm. Just not, it, it was just not working anymore. So William Jr. built himself a new home oh. along the Merrimack River, and he started to stay there more often than the Lemp Mansion because the Lemp Mansion was where all the offices were, okay. and he didn't want to deal with it anymore. So not too long after that, in 1815, he remarried a woman named Ellie Lindbergh who was the daughter of another St. Louis brewer, Casper Kohler. Okay. And then in 1919, Prohibition finally came along. I knew that was coming mm -hmm. in here somewhere. <laughs> By this time, each member of the Limp family was just, they were so rich themselves that they just didn't really need to keep the brewery going anymore. Okay. They were like, yeah, it's not really like doing it for us anymore. So they shut it down. What was really douchey of William Jr. was that he didn't tell any of his employees that he was going to close down the brewery. Lovely. They just showed up to work one day. All the doors were locked. All the gates had chains locking them together. Ugh. And they were just like, well, guess I'm out of a job in the middle of prohibition, in the middle of the war, right before Great Depression starts. That's super awesome, right? Yeah. What a great man. I know. He's really cool. Like, that's just fucking rude, man. Yeah. Those people have families. So, on a, on a side note, do you remember a few years ago when that happened, actually, with the restaurant around here? No. Yeah, people showed up to work, and the doors were just locked. No, I don't remember that. When was that? 2017? Mm. Five years ago? No, I don't remember that. I have to remember what it was called. But okay, continue. Okay. Oh, it was uh, Casa Gallardo. Oh. And people showed up, and the, the doors were just locked. Dang. Nobody had a job. That's bullshit. Yeah. All right. So, a year after they closed down the brewery, on March 20th, 1920, Elsa Lemp Wright, which was William Jr.'s sister, as we remember, committed suicide oh. the same exact way that her father did. In the same spot? Not in the same spot, oh. but she shot herself in the head with the same type of gun in her own house on Hortense Place. Oh, I don't know where that is. I don't either. But okay. Sad, though. <laughs> yes. And it was rumored to be because of her rocky relationship with her husband, mm. who she had divorced and then remarried, okay. and they remarried one month before her death. Oh. Apparently, whenever William Jr. arrived on the scene of his sister's death, he said, that's the Limp family for you. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Isn't that super cool? <laughs> like, your sister just died. Yeah. Show some, show some empathy. Well, you'd think he'd be mourning. Yeah. No, he was not. A little while later, in 1922, William Jr. sold the Falstaff beer to Joseph Greasedick. Greased oh, yeah. Greased? I don't know. I think it's Greasy Dick. Greasy Dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe nice. not. Grease? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was. <laughs> so he sold the Falstaff beer for uh, $25,000, which today is $440,000. Okay. And this would eventually become the popular Falstaff Brewing Company. He also sold the brewery buildings and everything else for $588,000, which today would be $10 million. Wow. Yes, that's a lot. After he sold all of the brewing stuff, the Falstaff beer, all that stuff, William Jr. slipped into a deep depression. 
just like his father. Mm. And he became really anxious and erratic, and he didn't show up in public anymore. And he was just not like himself, people said. Sound familiar? Yes. Yes. But this was just after he sold everything. Yes. Okay. So then on December 29th, 1922, William Jr. dismissed his secretary and shot himself in the heart Aww. with a 38 caliber gun in the same building in the same room that his father killed himself Aww. 18 years before. Aww. And eventually his body was placed in the family mausoleum right above his sister Elsa. Mm. Yeah. A little creepy. That's three suicides in 20 years in this family. Yeah. William Jr.'s brothers, Charles and Edwin, never really been involved with the brewery business, and they just kind of chose to stay out of it after William Jr. passed. Not that there was really a brewery business right. anymore, but it seemed like the Lemp legacy and fame was kind of starting to die out. Yeah. Years and years later, in 1943, William Jr.'s son, William III, passed away tragically of a heart attack at the age of 42. Hmm. This was the son that Lillian gained custody of. Okay. Eventually, Charles, William Jr.'s brother, moved into the Limp Mansion and started to kind of remodel it. He lived here with just two servants and his beloved Doberman and his nephew in the attic, the mystery still? Limp boy, God. who is still there, living in the attic. <sighs> I don't really know how long Charles lived there for, but he was kind of like a hermit. He didn't really go out much. He didn't have many friends that I knew of. He only had a few other people living in his house, a couple servants, and his nephew and his Doberman. And he began to develop an extreme fear of germs. No. Oh. He only ever wore gloves in order to not come in contact with germs, and he was constantly washing his hands. And around this time, the mystery limp boy passed away. Aww. He was in his 30s, and he died at the mansion. I did see one source that said he fell to his death oh. on the stairs. On the stairs. However, I've also seen things that say he was pushed down the stairs. Uh. Which, like I said, I didn't see a whole <clears throat> lot of sources on that. Right. But this will come into play a little bit later. Okay. Because I definitely believe that that's what happened. The mystery Lemp boy was buried in the Lemp Cemetery plot with a very small, flat grave marker. And all it said was Lemp. Ah. No dates. No name. No name. So they never gave him a name. They never gave him a name. That's so sad. I know. And all it said was limp. Ugh. I know. Shortly after this, Charles, who had just moved into the mansion, committed suicide. Oh my gosh. I know. However, before he killed himself, he took his Doberman into the basement and shot him. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there was two other servants living in the house who could have taken care of this dog, but he was like, no, if I'm going to go out, the dog's going to go out. <sighs> Whatever. Charles then made his way up to his bedroom on the second floor and shot himself with a 38 caliber gun. Jeez. Mm -hmm. All of these were 38s. Yeah. And he was discovered the next day on May 10th, 1949 by one of the servants. And he wrote a suicide note. Hmm. And the only thing that was on the suicide note was as follows. St. Louis, Missouri, May 9th, 1949. In case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me. Charles A. Lemp. Okay. That's it. And he addresses it to all of St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Isn't that just a little suspicious, though? Like, in case I'm found dead. Right. Blame it on me. And no, did any of the other ones leave a suicide note, or do you know? Not that I found. Okay. So they also, that day, found his dog. 
Hmm. His dog was halfway up the basement stairs. What? Which means that Charles definitely shot his dog in the basement. Which means that his dog lived yeah. and tried to come up the stairs to Charles. Yeah. But he didn't make it all the way up. Oh. I know. That poor dog. He must have been in, like, so much pain. Yeah. Whatever. Charles also left some instructions on what to do with his body after death, and they were really weird. Okay. Remember, this was the guy that had an extreme fear of germs. Right. He said that he did not want his body to be bathed, clothed, changed at all. He also wanted to be cremated, and he wanted his ashes to be put in a specific wicker box and buried at his farm. And he also instructed that there was to be no funeral and no announcement of his death anywhere. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. Who did he instruct this to? I think one of his servants. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, it's just, it's just really fishy. Yeah. Like, this guy was deathly afraid of germs. He wore gloves everywhere, washed his hands, and he's like, no, I don't want my body to be bathed. Hmm. I mean, not that it really matters after death, but like... Right. Still, it's just a little weird. After Charles's death, we have Edwin. Edwin had left the family business in 1913. He just wasn't really into it, and he chose to live a quiet life in Kirkwood. Okay. He passed away of natural causes at age 90 in 1970. Oh, his last wishes were also really weird, though. Okay. <laughs> he requested that all of the art, all of the family artifacts, all the heirlooms, family documents, everything, he told his butler to burn them all. Oh. Everything. Interesting. And his butler obliged. Ah, really? They were like priceless heirlooms and art that they had bought, and it was just all gone. Ugh. That just sounds so suspicious. Do you like think the maybe butler stole them and sold them. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm coming up with my own <laughs> conspiracy theories right now. My conspiracy theory is that Edwin had something against his family, oh. and when he died, he wanted to go out with a bang and okay. be like, "Fuck you guys!" Yeah, that and could burn be. all their stuff. But I want to know why he hated them so much. Like, what happened? You know? Uh, maybe he was just angsty. I don't know. Maybe. Eventually, the lamp line had finally died out and the mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house and this is where the haunting tales began okay residents of the boarding house complained of hearing mysterious footsteps and knocks around the mansion and because of this it was really hard to find people that wanted to move in and the mansion fell into disrepair it was basically like a shithole at that point yeah however in 1975 the mansion was saved by a man named dick pointer <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it was so funny when I read that. <laughs> so Dick Pointer bought it. <laughs> and he began to renovate it with the help of his family. Because this is a historical building in St. Louis. Yeah. It needs to be renovated. And he turned it into the inn and restaurant that it is. And I think their family still owns it as far as oh, I know. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. People that were working on the house, trying to renovate it, said that they heard strange sounds and they noticed their tools would go missing and they saw weird things out of the corners of their eyes and they felt like they were being watched all the time. So a lot of these workers would not come back. Yeah. They were like, no, fuck this. Yeah, I'm good. There's no way I'm coming back. <laughs> so it took a really long time for them to finish working on this house. But once the inn and restaurant opened, they would have the same experience with their employees mm -hmm. who would quit and be like, no, this place is fucking weird. Yeah. 
there was a couple people that said they would see bar glasses fly off the bar and like oh. shatter against the wall and the piano would start playing even though there was nobody there. Lights would turn on and off and doors would lock and unlock and all that creepy stuff. There was also some incidents in the downstairs women's bathroom. Okay. Which was once William Jr.'s part of the house. Yeah. Women would often, they would go to the bathroom and they'd come out and they would complain to the employees that they saw a man peeping into their stall. Oh, gross. And there was no man. There was no man peeping into their stall. Yeah. But people say that that was William Jr. William Jr. was the player. Right. He was the one who was constantly cheating and, you know, getting it with prostitutes. Yeah. There was also people have reported hearing horses outside of the room that was once William Sr.'s office. Okay. So outside of that room is a parking lot now. But back then, when the Lemps lived there, that was where people would tether their horses when they came to visit. Okay. And so people would complain about hearing horses neighing outside their window, and everyone's like, that's just a parking lot. <laughs> Do you remember the three most haunted places in the house? The stairs, mm -hmm. the attic, mm -hmm. and the gates of hell. And the gates of hell, yes. <laughs> the gates of hell in the basement. Remember, it's the, the entrance to the tunnels. Yes. This is where... William Jr. held his crazy prostitute parties. Love it. I'm sure a lot of bad shit went on in those parties. Oh, I'm sure. And this is also where Charles shot his dog. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of haunting going on there. And then we have the staircase. People have often complained about hearing someone frantically running up the stairs and then kicking at the door right above the stairs. Aww. It is known fact... People know that when William Sr. shot himself, his son, William Jr., frantically ran up the stairs, and when he couldn't open the locked door, he tried to kick it down to get to his dad. So he committed suicide with his kids right downstairs? Yep. Aww. I know. And then, remember, it was said that someone pushed the mystery lump boy down yeah. the third-story staircase. There's also been people that have complained, like, oh, I think somebody just fell down the stairs. Ugh. Nope. That happened several years ago. Yeah. And then we have the attic, which is where the mystery lump boy spent his entire life. So sad. I know. Like I said, people have said they've seen a, quote, strange face yeah. peeking out of the windows. That would be the lump boy. There's also been ghost investigators who've come to the house and have done, like, experiments in the attic. Hmm. They'll draw a circle on the ground with chalk or something and then leave kids' toys in the middle of it. Aww. They'll come back the next day, the toys have moved. They are not in the circle anymore. Huh. And there's been nobody up there. The doors have been locked. Yeah. So they know somebody's been up there. If anyone wants to go witness all this stuff <laughs> firsthand, you can book a room for the night at the Lemp Mansion. I will personally not be doing that. No, that I That sounds be. terrifying. Yeah, I'm not doing that. But that is the story of the Lemp family. Nice. Terrifying. I've been there twice. Twice. <clears throat> I went once when you were there, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then I went once for a mystery theater oh, dinner. Yeah where they assign everybody a different character. And that's been a long time too. And I do remember walking around and I remember, um, they, you know, they tell you kind of where the spooky spots are mm -hmm. there. And the only thing that I really remember, I do remember the attic, but I don't mm -hmm. remember any really details about it, except that on the stairs up to the attic, they said sometimes people would feel it was cold or oh. something was moving past them, but I never Creepy. felt anything. 
I never saw anything or felt anything, but mm. but I didn't spend the night either. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it, and it is gorgeous in there. Yeah. It's so cool how they've renovated it and made it all historically accurate and stuff like that. Yeah, and then they have an, they're an outside area, mm-hmm. too. But Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Awesome. First episode. First episode. Done. Yay. Check. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and we hope you come back. Yeah. All right. All right. Done. Yay. Thanks for listening to our first episode. We plan to record and post a new episode every week. I will be covering Bishop's Castle next week, which is the roadside attraction that inspired us to start this podcast. And then we'll continue our rotation from there. Abigail will take the week following and so on. You can follow us on Instagram at RoadsidePod and on TikTok as Roadside Podcast. You can also email us your suggestions of roadside attractions or destinations that you think that we should cover in the future. And our email address is roadsidepod at gmail.com. Thanks again.